Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down the movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by The Chick and the Duck. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Pestle. Today's episode is brought to you by Bachelor Chow. Bachelor Chow, now with flavor. Oh, I can't wait for that. So good. So much happiness. How's it going, everybody? My name is Wes. And I'm Todd. And today we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, During the pestle, we like to take two somewhat different approaches. I like to get a little bit more technical. And I like to just say whether I like the movie or not. (laughs) And what I liked or didn't like about it. And it's always good. I always enjoy hearing what you had to say. Um, There is one big spoiler warning. Um, We like to talk in detail about the film. So if you haven't seen it, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and and 2, we're mostly talking part 2, but we'll probably still discuss a little bit of the first one. So if you haven't seen these movies and you don't like spoilers, beware. Watch the movie first and come back. Or if you don't really care, if you're one of those people who... It's not going to ruin your enjoyment, which apparently those people exist. Those people exist. Shannon, our good friend Shannon, does not care. Does not care. He can watch. But he's he's like a dit on like big stuff, and he's working his way to being a director of photography. I'd love to hire him out sometime. But apparently, he reads up spoilers like Game of Thrones. He knows everything that's going to happen, and he can still watch the show and not care. It doesn't affect him. Wow, I would lose my mind. That's that's disheartening (laughs) absolutely so in this episode we're going to talk about so many things we're going to talk about uh the theme of guardians we'll talk about the intro and the power of a title sequence um and how it can influence your film as well as maybe a little bit of the coloring and also what i like to call incongruity and so i think yeah i think that's going to be a good episode so let's go ahead and excited about it I'll give you the synopsis here. Uh, The Guardians must fight to keep the newfound family together as they unravel the mystery of Peter Quill's true parentage. Uh, It was written and directed by James Gunn. Love this guy. Uh, Starring Chris Pratt uh, as Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. I think he gave himself that name. Uh, Zoe Zalanda as Gamora. Uh, Dave Bautista as Drax, who is my favorite in this film. Vin Diesel as Baby Groot. Bradley Cooper, believe it or not, is Rocket, which is amazing. Uh, And also featuring, and this a couple of spoilers alerts, uh, Kurt Russell, Sylvester Stallone, Karen Gillan, Michael Rooker, and Sean Gunn. Awesome. Yeah. Let's have a soundbite. Sometimes the thing you're searching for your whole life... It's right there by your side all along. You're right. All you do is yell at each other. You're not friends. No, we're family. Except maybe her. After all these years, I've found you. And who the hell are you? I'm your dad, Peter. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny whenever you mention Bradley Cooper, I 100% of the time always forget 
that that's him. That's how, that's why it's so good. It's so good. I always remember it's Vin Diesel because it's so hilarious. Yeah. That he's got three words. I know. Over and I, love over it. I love it. But the, but it's still actually probably his best work. <laughs> I don't know. I love him in boiler room actually. Oh, that's a I, really oh, random throwback, but dude. Yeah, absolutely. I love that film. Um, so what was your takeaway? How do you feel about this film? Uh, uh, the second one we're yes, talking about the second one right absolutely. now uh, immediately yep. uh, i i loved it i loved every moment of it uh <laughs> from uh obviously the, you know one of the things that guardians is famous about is the 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 soundtrack mm. just i mean you think of some awesome iconic songs uh, or not iconic like like you know kind of under the radar but great songs where people are like, yeah, I remember that song. Who's that? And you have no idea. And then you find out who it is and you're like, I have no idea who that band is, but I remember that song. Uh, They have, those songs have like some major points in this film and they, they just, they take, they, they make the movie not so serious when, you know, this guardians of the galaxy, they're, they're saving the galaxy, right? They're saving the universe. They have all that. It has all that weight to it. But at the same time you have, you know, a trailer like what we just heard with that song in there. And I mean, that Fleetwood Mac song is one of the best that they have best ever. Mm -hmm. And, and it just makes it fun. You know, like there's such great moments with the soundtrack and, and I, I, I would say like the acting is really good. The writing is fantastic. The imagery is great. I know we're going to get to that, but the use of CGI is great because obviously they're in a completely CGI world the entire time. Um, so it's like over the top, but, the, but on done on purpose to where you're expecting it to be over the top. And uh, the sound is fantastic. And it, it's just... The storylines come together. I keep going, but yeah, no, it's, I'm it's really good. Completely on the same page. Yeah. Uh, the music definitely always strikes me. And there's a really cool video that we'll post on the uh, on the show notes, which you can access at thepestlepodcast.com slash Guardians of the Galaxy 2. The number two or the, the number word two. two? The number two. Guardians, Guardians of the, the Galaxy, Galaxy number two. two. Yeah, correct. Um and this video talks about the Marvel Universe kind of suffers from sameness with their music. Like they do what I like to call Mickey Mousing. I love something. this video. Yeah. And he, this video is really good and it goes into great detail about the way that it's kind of bland and the way a lot of movies steal from other movie soundtracks. And that's why we're starting to get a little bit of vanilla and sameness to from one film to the next. And especially in the Marvel universe where you're already dealing with a similar texture as far as the color palette goes. Um, and then you add on the music and, and they have to do that because this universe is almost more of an episodic thing. It's like a TV show where one film needs to fit into the universe of the next film and in order to do that they kind of bring in all the colors and textures onto the same plane so that it doesn't feel like a hyper jump this is probably why we will i doubt we will ever see the flash or any of the netflix marvel universe jump into the film world because it's such a different look and texture that they're presenting on netflix as opposed to and even on fx the the show of the one show I've seen on the effects has a different texture and feel to it as well. And so they're separating all those out, but within the film universe, everything looks very much the same. Everything sounds the same except for the music and guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. They do such an amazing job. And I think that owes, I don't, I've never read the comic books. I'm 
not very good at talking comic books, but I know that uh, James Gunn is a very much a throwback kind of person. If you've seen any of his other films, uh, you know that he's he's a little offbeat. And he, <laughs> I have to think a lot of that has to do with him. And it's interwoven so well into the story, even in the opening sequence in, in part two. Uh, Rocket is down there trying to fix <laughs> the, the stereo speakers so that they could listen to his favorite music, uh, Peter Quill's favorite music, while they battle this alien fourth dimensional being or fifth yeah. dimensional being, whatever it is. Um, and it's it's so good. Um, and speaking of the... Okay, so let me jump back here. You went back and recently rewatched the first one as well. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. Uh, did anything strike you at all between one and the, uh, the first one and the second one? Um, I mean... Like you were talking about, the color palettes are very similar. Uh, it relies heavily on the on the soundtrack, same as the second one, to uh, to kind of give it a lighthearted feeling, but also make it feel um, more earthy, hmm. if that makes sense. So you can you kind of connect with the with with Peter because he likes the same music that the entire yeah. earth likes, yeah. you know, essentially they, they just did a really good job of continuing on the story. So, you know, you have Drax in the, in the first one, uh, who is, um, you know, fighting this guy who killed his wife and his kid. And a lot of the second story is about him and that kind of similar thing. Like he takes a lot of that I- into it and you kind of, you know, you feel for him in the, in the first film, obviously but in the second film you really feel for him like there is a there's a moment with him him and the the and mantis sitting on the steps Mm -hmm. and she touches him and she starts to cry because he's thinking of them and it just it's so moving i mean that's a really interesting point though i didn't even think about it until you just said it the drax is actually kind of light in this film as far as his backstory goes yeah that's the one moment where you get to actually remember oh yeah this guy lost his family yeah whereas the first film he was a very he was very much a driving force in everything that came into play from the moment he arrives into the film and the uh, the prison cells up until the final confrontation uh, or even that first confrontation whenever they're on nowhere, right? And yeah. he, he phones uh, whoever that guy is, uh, Lee Pace. I don't remember his his character's name, but I remember the big evil bad guy. Oh yeah, right. right. And he summons him. He's like, "This is where we are." Yeah, <laughs> moron. This is awesome. This is so awesome. <laughs> he's great. And so, but one of the things that also struck me was in two things. Um, there's two different intros. There's a very opening scene. And in both one and two, they open on earth with the mother. Like in the first one, she's on her deathbed. Right. And we get to see Peter Quill get abducted as she dies. Yeah. And then in the second one, it opens before Peter, what I presume is probably his, uh, what's the what? word? Okay. Uh, Conception. Conception. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna. Is that the word we're looking for? <laughs> we're gonna keep it mostly family for you. Yeah, here, mostly. But, um, but yeah, and so it's him and his father. They're both together, or her and her. Uh, and his father. His father are together, and I thought it was interesting too that they open on a Dairy Queen. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh yeah. That's basically you know one of the first shots of the of the film. American Standard, man. Exactly. And I think that was one of their ways of trying to 
connect us and make us care about earth because otherwise we really have no ties to earth. The one person that we know on earth, his mother is dead already. Right. And what do we really care about what happens to earth? I mean, other than us as human beings being here, we don't, but I appreciate that they really didn't force it too hard. They didn't just create some random characters on earth to make us care about them. Yeah. They just kind of, they use Dairy Queen, this kind of iconic American standard outlet or whatever, you know, food place that families gather and, I have childhood memories, you know, with Dairy Queen. Yeah. And they didn't make like some faux mom and pop shop that right. that nobody would have heard of. It, it's like, yeah. They, and now yeah. you're kind of rooted <laughs> on earth again. Um, but then I also thought it was interesting that the title sequences of both films uh, play seem to play a pretty important part. And I think titles in general play an important part of a film because that's how a film is going to settle you into its world yeah because or move you into another one or move you into another one and you can see it whether you're talking about seven um or guardians of the galaxy um or crash like there's tones and music maybe there's a pacing that they need to get you in rhythm with um because you for all the filmmaker knows you're just walking in off the street you've had a hectic day and they may want to take four or five minutes to kind of make sure you know this is going to be an easy and slow movie um, or this is going to be a dark and serious film. Um, and so that's one way you can familiarize the audience with the textures, with the pacing um, and with the, with the tone and ambience of the film. And what's funny about uh, guardians is that what do you get in both one and two for the title sequences? You have a music track. Oh yeah. <laughs> they introduce oh, yeah. you right away. They're going to let you know this is a fun experience. But it's also a highly visual one as well. Um, and, and this is completely random. I don't know if this ties in really well with the comic books. But in both title sequences, they have these little space rats that yeah, yeah. Uh, are running about. Um, in the first one, he's using them as a microphone as he's you know, singing to a soundtrack. Yeah. And then in the second one, you have Groot who's our main character, which was a really smart use in a lot of ways. I think, um, Groot is, is not very pro- pronounced throughout the film because he didn't, he doesn't have much to say. He doesn't have all that much personality. So let's squeeze every ounce of fun and energy we can right away. And then we kind of forget about him for the next 30 or 40 minutes. And he just kind of makes these 10 frames here, 10 frames there kind yeah. of, kind yeah. of moments. Um, to let you know that everyone cares about him, even in the opening title sequence, uh, as he's dancing around. And that is like one of my favorite things. I, I would argue that, that Groot has more personality than most of the others <laughs> yeah. simply because oh, I, little Groot. Yeah. Not so much big Groot in the first mm-hmm. one. First one, I, I would totally agree with that. But in the second one, it's, it's like he's, he, I have a four-year-old and it's like, he's a four-year-old. He just is all over the place. One second, he's, he's, you know, he's like checking this, this plug out or what it like, what is this? And he's curious. And the next moment he's dancing and he's happy. And the next moment he's mad at one of the rats and he's chasing him. And it's like all these emotions he goes through and then he's mad at Drax for breaking the, right. <laughs> for breaking he, starts the thing. he starts beating on him. I mean, like, like he goes through all these emotions just like a regular four-year-old. So it's, it's almost like, yeah, they give you all the spectrum of what you're going to get. And then at the end, and I mean, we already mentioned about spoilers. Yep. So whatever at the end, when he, when he's 
getting squished and he has that one tear, like th- you're just um, you ripped to shreds more about him yeah. than almost anybody else, you know? And what's interesting um, is that that's a really great use of effects. And there's this thing called uh, the Uncanny Valley. Are you familiar with this? No. no. So the Uncanny Valley is whenever you try to recreate the human face. And if you don't do it as close to humanly, absolutely perfect as possible, then it creates a very strange and off-putting effect. It's close, but it's not 99% close. It's like 90% close. And now it's eerie. It freaks you out because Mm. it's trying to be human, but it is not human. Whereas if you just kind of create these very anthropomorphic outlines, such as Groot, baby Groot has these big eyes and he has this very thin hairline smile. Um, and he looks very human, but not too human. Yeah. And it helps us identify with him so much more. And it's funny just because we know this is an effect. We know this is a visual effect. I wouldn't even say it's an amazing visual effect. Um, it's really good, but it's not avatar good, right? You're not really believing this is a species. Um, but because of that very light anthropomorphic effect that they're, they're putting on, and I may be totally using the wrong word here, (laughs) but sounds right. Let's just use it. (laughs) And so, but because it's uh, generic enough, it, emote it gives us all this emotion that we identify with and connect with and i guess to your point like it's very baby like yeah because babies are still kind of developing their face they and have their facial features big eyes and the very soft skin folds right yeah. you know you don't very feel round like, very rounded very puffy yeah um and so it pulls you in so much more because it's not trying to be 100 percent accurate they're yeah. saying here's our outline this is baby like. Yeah. That's a close enough. Let's yeah. not go too crazy. Yeah. But the other the other cool thing I like about the effects, especially of that title sequence, is that it does what I like to do or what I like to call wasteful. It's very wasteful effects. You're you have this huge monster battle happening out of focus. <laughs> It's oh, in yes. the background yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. we don't really see everything. You just, you have these explosions going off and all these firefighting going on between the, the gang and, and this monster. And it's very wasteful. And what I like about that is that it gives you a high degree of scale that this world is very big and it grounds you at the same time so that uh, you're looking at everything from the perspective of Groot. And so it makes everything look that much bigger and one thing I always get really frustrated with in these big budget blockbusters is that they try to show you all the effects that are happening. Oh, we have the Titanic. Let's get this big aerial shot. But all you're doing when you're doing that is you're shrinking down the Titanic and now it looks tiny. Yeah. If you want it to look right. big, shoot it from a human perspective. And now our eye cannot physically contain the Titanic. Right. It's too big. Yeah. And so I love when I see wasteful effects uh, in, in our short film off of zombies. Um, we, we do this uh, just a, for 10 seconds. Most of this short film and I'll post it in the, I was going to say, let's post. Yeah. It. We'll, we'll just go ahead and post it in the, uh, the show notes. But most of the film takes place in an office where uh, zombies have been resurrected and 
they're acting just like people. There's no real difference between zombies and people. Right. Very minor. But then uh, to give you a sense of scale, we do this quick eight to 10 second flashback of the apocalypse. And it's mayhem. There's zombies everywhere. You're getting bit. And uh, you have your, your lone big hero survivor who's like yelling <laughs> yeah. into the wind. Oh, um, Sean. <laughs> that was so much fun. I love That's my favorite part. Yeah. But I love what I loved about doing that was I didn't spend five minutes on it. It was like just as I blink um, yeah. in context of the whole film. And it gave you a sense of, oh, this, there was an actual apocalypse. Yeah. Or at least that's what it's supposed to do. Uh, y'all can be the judge of that. But I love the way they incorporate some of these wasteful effects in in Guardians. They do such a great job of really bringing you in. And back to your point about the music. And it also settles you into a number of things. Everything that this movie is, you find out in the title sequence. You find out that it's music. It's comedy. And it's action and it's highly visual effects that are happening. Um, and it's very colorful. You look at all the colors. Uh, I, I noticed this past time I had, I've watched it three times in theaters now. Yeah. Um, the third time was just for this. I just sat in the dark taking notes, but there's a point when I can't remember what exactly he's doing. If he's vomiting or if he's spewing fire, but that interdimensional being is like vomiting a rainbow. Yeah. 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 What? It's like a tractor beam or something. It like drags them in or something like that. It's so crazy. Yeah. And you can see the, uh, the guys that that are fighting are trying to stay out of it because it's going to like hurt them or bring them into its mouth, which would make sense. It's got all these teeth. It's probably trying to bring them in. Yeah. Um, and so (laughs) you get all of this from the title sequence and now you've kind of set the stage for what to expect throughout the rest of the film. Yeah. And I think it's just a really great use of a title sequence. And there are movies that I don't think do a good job of it. I have none off the top of my head, but uh, a good movie will take advantage of the title. Yeah. And on that same note, I also, <laughs> the colors in this film are really interesting too, because it's very neon. It does, I guess, part of what I like to think of is incongruity. It's doing a high contrast between two very extreme different extremes which i guess is the nature of extremes but on the one hand you have a very serious movie like you said it's we're trying to save the galaxy but then on the other extreme they're they're laughing and joking along the whole way um and just like we have all these very neon colors we also have these very muted colors um orange and teal is very common and popular in a lot of uh, big budget films. Transformers is a perfect example. Pretty much anything Michael Bay does mm-hmm. is going to have origin teal. But I think uh, Crimson is also a big one in Marvel films. It plays out all over Guardians and probably oh, yeah. through most of these. Um, Peter because, Cole's jacket. Yeah, absolutely. It's his jacket. It's uh, Gamora's hair. Drax's tattoos are all crimson colored the the um uh, what's what's his name um yandu yandu yes thank you he, um i don't know about his jacket but his his first mate his jacket yeah his whole crew his, oh yeah yeah his, his whole, crew. whole crew they have a tailor and they make a joke about it uh in in this film where they're like we can't kill groot he's too cute and so yeah, right. send him to the tailor and they and they made a, a crimson 
yeah. suit for him. Yeah. Absolutely. So their whole color scheme is based around the crimsons, but it's really cool because they mute those. And so you have just a high degree of contrast happening at any one given time. You have these neon colors on Gamora and Yondu. They're so bright and vibrant, but it also plays. And so you have this feeling of newness and, and brightness, but it plays against an entire world. It's very mute. It's very gray and drab. Mm-hmm. Um, the the ship itself feels very old and beaten and worn down whether you're talking about yandu's or you're talking about uh peter's um i don't know if he has a name for his ship but i don't know okay good yeah (laughs) i didn't catch it okay (laughs) and and on that same line what i found super interesting this time or this last time around was that there's no white the only time i remember really seeing white was on on ego's introduction his ship is white he's white his beard is white his hair is white um and i think i can't remember if his clothes are white they probably were um what what about the uh, the the snow planet and that's the very next scene we jump to after ego's introduction oh okay it's yeah. a snow planet but it's very degraded it's very dingy and dirty right, right. which is an interesting uh, contrast from jumping from ego straight to the snow planet which is called contraxia right this is like yeah your planet for prostitutes yeah um, it's very dirty which is why they have such a dirty snow color and very dingy and so contraxia just kind of cracks me up because it gives you the idea that you're going to contract something on this planet right um but yeah, so white is really absent elsewhere because I think largely we're in space. Uh, there's a lot of black. So even when you cut outside the ship, it's all black. But I think it's also probably by design. You can't leave out a color that important without it having a meaning and a purpose. And I think it's a, it's a very interesting thing that they seem to have saved for ego. But once you get on the ego's planet... There's still some whites, I think, like the uh, those little hubs that you're looking all the as he's doing his storytelling and the history telling. I think those hubs are kind of white, uh, but largely the rest of the planet is very colorful. It's gold, which I think is a sign of royalty um, or even a setting sun. If you really want to get like deep, yeah, despotic, <laughs> <laughs> because that's his whole his whole idea. Continuing on that line of incongruity, I think there's a really fun thing that's happening whenever you have something that's this big budget and all these amazing effects, and then you dirty it up with 70s music. <laughs> you know, it's it's the throwback. It's not new. It's, it's, yeah. it's older. It's got this uh, vibrant colors and these old rusty muted colors. And then you also throw in these old video game references and noises, right? Uh, that endlessly kind of cracks me up. And maybe for some people, this is just too far. It's just too hokey. But I really love the uh, the video game reference, right? They have this, that yeah. the scene where they think uh, they're destroying all these these people. Oh, yeah. Oh, all the, uh, the con- contracts. Who is it? No, I don't the, even remember their name. The gold the, people. The douche people is <laughs> the way I think of <laughs> That's what you think of? Because of Groot yeah. or uh, Rocket. <laughs> that one scene where that one guy is left and they're all huddled around, like cheering him on, and then he dies and like, you suck. <laughs> yes. It's like it's an fantastic. old arcade, yeah. right? Um, yeah. To me, it reminds me of the 
the last starfighter. Oh yeah. Um, but I'm That's, sure that it's been in endless movies, but if you didn't grow up going to arcades, this may be a foreign concept, but to everyone, you know, over 30, this is like the, the funniest thing because you recognize exactly what's going on. Oh yeah. You the, always wanted to be that guy that everybody was huddled around, you going know, going for gold. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, um, oh my God. And that works. And that brings us right into the idea of, uh, the humor itself is a contrast from the sincerity. Mm-hmm. Like you have this serious tone, the the death of the galaxy is in, is in peril. And then you have these lo-fi jokes, um, even with some of the language. Um, it's very adolescent, right? You have these sincere moments where ego is talking to a son and how, you know, I've been looking for you. I've been wanting, wanting to find you. I need to go take a whiz. Yeah. <laughs> and, there's also all these jokes, you know, they use turd jokes, penis jokes, nipple jokes, yeah. uh, very adolescent, silly humor juxtaposed against all these really high concept things that are happening. Uh, Which just goes to show you filmmakers out there, don't concern yourself with making a movie with, 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 with trying to avoid this kind of thing. Look for it. And, and make it a part of the characters, right? Exactly. Like Drax is, can I just say he makes the movie for me? I agree. He is 100% the, the, like just the, the best character in this film from the first words out of his mouth to, and the first thing he does to the last thing, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing my butt off. I'm, I'm crying. I'm just in in awe of him as a character, as a, as like a person for lack of, you know, knowing what the hell he is. Uh, and, and I, you know, just feeling all these feelings for this, for this character. He's just, he's so good in it. I I don't think there was a line he had that I didn't laugh or cry. I mean, either one, both of them, they're just, he's, it's so good. The writing is so good and his delivery is so perfect. I mean, Batista, yeah. Who would have thought? I know. Right? I mean, I had my doubts on the first one. And yeah. I mean, he blew me away. Right. Right. Absolutely. And what's great about a well-timed joke is there's this thing that's in humans. I think, uh, when you have pent up stress, if you're watching an action movie and everything is just so tense, you're tense, you're looking for an outlet. And that's what makes a joke so much better is it's unexpected. It goes back to that element of surprise, but it's also uh, like a pressure valve, a safety valve. It allows you to get this tension out. Um, I think in the military, they have stress relief songs, these decompression songs, mm-hmm. like where they sing uh, the Mickey Mouse song. I don't know if this is a real thing. I know my one of my parents uh, who was in the military would talk about this and that it's a very real concept. Um, but I wasn't in the military. I can't really speak to it. Yeah. Um, but you see it at the end of yeah. Full Metal Jacket. They're, they're walking out singing the Mickey Mouse song after all, you know, war or what have you. And so that's, that's a really good use of it. You just, it also goes to like, we were just saying it's built into the character, but it's also, it's new. It's, it's clever. It's, it's a word you don't hear a lot of, um, or it's delivered in a way that you don't normally get it where some other movies go astray with trying to incorporate, you know, potty humor and it just lands completely flat. It, 
it's because it feels rehashed. We've already heard these jokes. Yeah. It's got a, a little bit come out of left field. Like uh, the be- the best one for me is the one that you missed the first time, but you got it the second time. The nipple yes. thing where he says that he doesn't wear the rocket pack because it, it hurt. It chafes his nipples. And at the end of the battle, the big battle at the end where he's holding Mantis and uh, I think it was Quill puts the, the, the pack on him and it opens up and he's about to take off and he goes and he screams, ah, my nipples. And this is an hour. This is like almost a full hour after he mentions this. So if you miss it and it's, and you know, there's explosions going off, so it's easy to miss. But if you catch it, it's hilarious and it's perfect timing for a nipple joke that, that lands perfectly, like you said, and juxtaposed with a serious battle going on. Um, uh, and it it just it makes it perfect. It's great, absolutely. And it goes to the to the another heart of a good joke or even good script writing is the setup and payoff. They mm. set it up way right. back in the first act, right? Um, whenever, like you said, Gamora was mad at them. Why aren't you wearing your jetpack? And he's like, "It chased my nipples." <laughs> 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 Which is funny in itself. Already, it's great. <laughs> but then you make a reference to it when you're not expecting it, and it, you get double the impact, maybe even triple, I guess, based yeah. on how long it's been since you heard this joke. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it, and so having these callbacks is really good. I, I laughed at the uh, the Pac Man joke. Um, oh yeah, they, he set that up when he was talking about all the weird shit he's gonna make, right? Right. right. It's, like, it's gonna get weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the worst time he turns into pac-man yeah <laughs> and that that cracked me up um there's also a really good setup that i didn't i didn't really catch maybe until the second or third time which is there's a comment where nebula is seeing that rocket is about to get killed she steps in to stop you know this mutiny that's happening yondu's been kicked off his ship and they're killing left and right all the people that are still loyal to him. Yeah. And she sees rockets about to get killed because he's making fun of uh taser face, which was a flat joke. That one didn't really land very well for me, but he calls the taser face calls her, you know, I thought you were the biggest sadist in the galaxy. Um, and then later on she's uh, getting hardwired in uh-huh. to provide power because her father this whole time in her childhood was replacing parts of her with uh, machinery. And so I guess she has some battery power. She has some energy to give. And as she's about to stab her skin with it, um, Yandu makes a comment and is like, this is going to hurt really bad. And she comments back to him, promises, promises, you know, mm-hmm. so she does have that reputation yeah. and she yeah. loves it. Yeah. You know, she, that's a part of her personality and her character. Um, but I love that it was lightly set up and it wasn't even punched very hard. It's just this kind of light thing that you're reinforcing uh, character types. Yeah. I mean, then there's the other slabs of humor <laughs> where it just comes out of left field. It's a one-time setup and payoff. Uh, but because it's so inserted into our culture, we don't need a, a setup for it, which for me was the, uh, Mary Poppins. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Yondu didn't know who Mary Poppins was and he's so proud that he looked like Mary Poppins. And how that moment was so amazing because Peter looks up at him. He's like, starts laughing. He's like, what's funny? He's like, you look like Mary Poppins. Was he a badass? <laughs> And yeah, he looks at him and he tells him so sincerely, he's yeah. like, 
Yes, he's the baddest. Yeah. yeah. And he and then he gets so much excitement out of it yeah. that you switch really quick and that's kind of a hard thing to do to switch from sincerity to humor to sincerity again. Yeah. Or inverse, I guess in this case. Um because it go you get a laugh, then you get serious, and you get right back into a laugh. So good. <laughs> it's so perfect. Um yeah, and so that that Hasselhoff, which they do a callback to that later on. Um they, it's just infused. And what's really cool, I think, about using humor is you add a layer of forgiveness because now you feel like you're watching a comedy. And so because you're laughing, you kind of forgive some of the visual effects and perfections. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, you're, you don't expect comedies to be dazzling and beautiful um, or to be stylish. Uh, and so you're playing catch and the, the ball isn't very well. I don't think it's a perfect, uh, visual effect. Some of the better visual effects happen whenever you can light up and have you, you have this blue ball that they created. It's emitting light, but it's not emitting it very honestly. You're not seeing a lot of that light emitted onto him, uh, onto ego oh, yeah. and onto quill, but you forgive it because it's this funny moment with a little bit of sincerity. Um, and you buy into it anyway, it doesn't, none of it pulls you out. You're forgiving everything because you're laughing and, and you're totally into the story. I just realized that James Gunn wrote it too. Yes. He wrote the screenplay. Yeah. He's a good writer. Wow, man. Impressive, James. And what's, what's great too, uh, just, I guess, staying back on uh, the, the effects, is there's a lot of practical setups, even though, like you said, this world is entirely made up. But they make certain parts of it physical so that you buy into it a little bit better. You go wide for the visual effects, you go close for the practical effects. Hmm. And so you're blending this way more seamlessly whenever you have the ship itself has been built. And so every time we're inside the ship, we're inside of a physical thing the actors are reacting to, but then you go wide, that physical ship is now inside a make-believe visual effect. Right, yeah. And yeah. you buy into it because oh, yeah, absolutely. everyone is in there banging around. Um, the only exceptions to that, I guess, would be Groot and Rocket. Um, but because those aren't humans, it's so much easier. Rocket, the same thing, the whole Uncanny Valley thing still applies to Rocket because yeah. he's a raccoon. Right. Um, but I love the Rocket effect. He is, his hair follicles are so freaking detailed. Oh, man. it's Yeah, it's fantastic. Incredible work. Whoever did that. Yeah. You deserve a raise. And, and I don't know, like I, w I really want to see some behind the scene footage of Bradley Cooper doing this voice. Cause I still don't believe it was him. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, he can put his picture and his name in there, but I, I don't know. I don't believe it was him. He did a great job. <laughs> it's a really it's great too job. Good. Yeah. It's too good. It really is. I was going to say, going back to your point about the writing, I really loved how they spread out some of the exposition. Mm -hmm. Whenever you get to the, the the point of how you find out who ego is and what he's trying to do, um, they spread it out really well. You find out through talking with Yondu and Rocket that Yondu has been kidnapping children. Mm -hmm. That's where you find out. Okay, wow. So yeah, you didn't know that in the first one. You you right. didn't, um, and suddenly you're like on edge. Well, what does he do with these children? And then you speak to Drax and Manus. When you're spending time with them, you find 
like she's very scared and she's very guilty. She wants to talk about it, but she she just can't yet. And she's waiting for her moment. And then it's with Gamora and Nebula that you find this big pile of bones, right? Mm-hmm. You find out this is what's happening to these kids. He's killing them. To what purpose, you still don't know. And from that, you find out through Ego and Quill directly. Mm-hmm. And that's when you find out that he's basically cancer. Yeah. And this is some really cool symbolism because if Ego is cancer, that's how he's taking over these planets and which speaks to the visual of his growth. It's spreading. It in a, looks like, a, yeah, it looks yeah. like a tumor. It does. Right. And it's metastasizing, right? It's taking over the planet and it's going to kill everything. And that's how he killed her, Peter's mom. Absolutely. And so he physically gave her a tumor, a brain tumor and killed her. And obviously when Peter finds that out, none which, too, please. Yeah. Which, which going back and watching the first one again and seeing that opening scene of, of hit Peter as a, as a boy, it, it takes on a whole nother meaning. Yes. Now, like it's, it's like one of the, the only cases where I go back and I watch the first one and I'm more moved because I saw the second one. Um, most movies I'm, it's, it's like, Oh, I kind of, I know why that because I've happened or this way, because I saw the second one this time. It's like, oh, wow. I, man, if only this kid knew, you know, and, and she's, she's like, I can't, you know, your father's going to come back and he's a great man or what, what, she says something specific, not he's a great man, but he's like, a um, Oh, the, her words are very specific. He basically bigger than a human is, mm. is, is in a nutshell, what she said, describing him and, uh, her, his dad. Um, so it's, it's a little for, it's foreshadowing a little bit, but also just, just knowing that she's there and he's experiencing this, uh, because of, of ego, it, it takes on a whole new meaning. Absolutely. And it, it, makes it so much more easier or much easier to understand the end of the first one. Yeah. Oh, when they're man. holding on to the infinity stone. Yeah. How in the world could he hold this? It's because he is something ancient. Right. And he is uh, a celestial being yeah. way more powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. This yeah. is one of the few movies because it's so well thought out and so uh, such a fleshed out world. None of these things are by accident. And, it makes me so much more excited to see what comes next. It, it, it also makes me a little, uh, like, like sad. I won't be seeing Yondu. Oh, man. I mean, maybe yeah. we will, you know, it's a movie. They can oh, write in anything, yeah. but, but man, when he, when he died, I teared up. It was such a, yes. a moving moment. I'm adopted. So like it is whenever, you know, like you, t- you, talk about things like that where Yondu wasn't his natural father right but he was his father like bar none you know it it's the it goes it goes with so many other things but that to me gets right into the heart of the theme of this movie okay it's that family is more than who you're related to absolutely yeah so throughout the film we have fathers we have Yondu versus Ego and what's really interesting is that Drax was right. Drax was right. He said, I thought Yondu was your father. Yeah. 
And How could you think Yondu's my father? He's blue. <laughs> and, and he looks at Peter yeah. like, yeah, you're, you're blue. So maybe yeah. Drax is colorblind. Yeah. I, no. Or that's just not. Right. You know what's interesting, though, is that uh, there are he certain. Said, he said, you guys look exactly alike. What? Anyway. But what's interesting about that comment, um, I was watching. Oh, I went to a master class with Kirsten Johnson, who is a cinematographer for. Laura Poitras movies such as Citizen Four and Risk. Citizen Four being about Edward Snowden and Risk being about uh, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. And she made this really interesting uh, anecdote about her sound man is black, and they were over in Africa. Uh, gosh, I'm, I can't remember exactly which country, but they were either, either in the Middle East or in Africa, and they did not consider the sound man to be black. They considered him to be white because culturally he's from America. Wow. And so this is a real thing. And so maybe that's kind of where Drax is at. He's like, you're blue too, because your father is blue. Not because, and because you're culturally just yeah. like this man. Yeah. Not necessarily because, uh, your skin tone is X, Y, or Z. And so, Wow. It's a really interesting That's thought. A thing. Yeah, I I had no idea before I did, I running into that. It's all the more reason to get out there and explore the world. Yeah. Um, but so you have this theme of family and it continues on with uh the sisters, Gomorrah and Nebula, they're not related, right? Um they grew up together and throughout the film they're fighting there there's all this sibling rivalry there's infighting and then uh they save each other at one point or another where gomora pulls nebula from the burning wreckage and saves her that way yeah later on nebula saves gomora right and what does she tell her <laughs> she's so afraid and she's so sensitive of being sentimental that she completely shrugs it off and she denies herself this moment um, it's such a real heartfelt moment. She sees a look on Gamora's face and she tells her, Oh, get over it. <laughs> it's so it's so sisterly. It's so sisterly. Um, or brotherly. However, you that's want to look very at true. It. Uh, yeah. Me and my brothers can totally be like that. And what's, I just mean she could kick my ass. Yeah. Oh, true. So, <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorite things, thinking about it more and more after watching it the second time was Nebula. I think honestly, Nebula might be my favorite character. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think she's so real and I love that she's so brooding and she's, I guess, very, uh, very sensitive. She's a very sensitive person who tries to appear to not be sensitive. Mm. Um, and I really relate. to that. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> but my favorite yeah. thing, and I think it goes, um, to the heart of them all being family, even Nebula was a part of the family. And from the moment she gets introduced, they lock her up on the ship and she starts looking at this piece of fruit and Gamora tells her it's not ripe. And she kind of swats it away out of reach. And later on, uh, when they're being, they're battling all the, the douchebag yeah. pods, right. Um, the ship, the back half of the ship is blown out and Drax goes back and saves her. Um, or maybe I'm tangling it up, but there's another moment when she tries to get it and Drax kicks it away as, as well. Yeah. And he's like, not right. This is not right. Um, they were looking out for her because finally when she gets her freedom, she 
gets Yondu's crew together and they they do their mutiny and they're still on that planet just after Rocket's been kicking all their asses. Yeah. Um, she picks it up. She takes a bite. She spits it out and throws it away. She looks at everybody. It's not ripe. Yeah. <laughs> but they were being honest with her. They were yeah. looking out for her, mm-hmm. even though there was a uh, there's a some bad blood there. But there was still an element of family that they were in, they were doing, and it shows up because family is more than who you related to. It's who you would die for, maybe. Because yeah. at the end of it, there's so many moments of sacrifice and redemption. You have Peter who sacrifices for everybody. He didn't know he was going to be, be able to make it off the planet as he's taken on ego. But he does it anyway to not only save the, the rest of the galaxy, but more specifically because we don't really have all these ties. We get to see what's happening on all these worlds and they give this, you know, these little two second, second glimpses into all these people saving their children whatever. And I mean, I don't really buy into that. It's, it's very uh, half-hearted and like, let's just at least show that this is a real threat out there. We're not going to spend too much time on it. And one of those characters, I don't know about you, but one of my actresses, um, Anna informed me of this thing called tryptophobia. It's the worst thing in the world and I will not link to it, but it's the fear that humans have, um, pretty naturally of small porous holes. That would be me. Do I have that? Yes. That's a thing I have. I didn't know I had it. That's a thing. I didn't know I had it until she told me about it. Oh my God. I hate. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't. It's the worst. Dude, I hate sponges. I have to use them to do dishes, but I hate them. I can't, I can't stand it. Coral makes me crazy. Like, Oh my God. So I never even looked at sponges that way. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) You're going to do the dishes later, right? (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, one of those characters has all these little holes all over her. Oh God. And I'm just like freaked out by it now. You, you too. Yeah. Oh man. And I didn't used to have this thing. So thanks. welcome to my world. Thanks Anna. You were screwed. And so you have a glimpse into all these people, but Peter's sacrificing, I think mostly for the people we do know and care about. Um, you have Yondu who sacrifices for Peter mm-hmm. at the end of it. Right. He right. gives him the, the air shield or whatever that bubble coat is. Um, and then you have Drax sacrificing himself for Mantis, who oh, we have great moment over and over established. Drax thinks she is hideous, right? <laughs> she is so ugly, <laughs> so good. You're hideous. <laughs> what do you? What is wrong with you? I was just thinking about what it would be like to lay with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a wasted moment. I love it. Yeah, because there's this emergency happening, and yeah. he's taking like 20 seconds to pretend to barf. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. But then the, the, the planet is like eating him or like sucking him down and, and he's holding Mantis. And what does he do? He lifts Mantis up over his head to, to give just whatever's going to happen a few more seconds to maybe save her. And it, and it just so happens to work. And, and it's just, it's so good. Right into my heart. It just levels me because it's so genuine and you've spent so much time building their relationship specifically and to see, this is what I think of you, your family too. Yeah. Um, and even Yondu, right. He got inducted. Um, Oh yeah. By Groot. Right. Mm -hmm. And rocket translates. Welcome to the fricking guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. (laughs) But he didn't say (laughs) fricking. And so I love this theme. I love that really at the heart of it, we're discussing family. 
mm-hmm. and what is the nature of family and just like your story of uh, being adopted like family is more than than who you're related to yeah. it's you know who would you die for who would you give for give for who do you consider family and and i mean the man who raised me is my stepdad and i consider that to be my father like he's always yeah. been there for me he raised me and um but we're not blood related and yeah. we're not even related by marriage anymore yeah. like that but that's still my dad yeah. um and so there's just so many great things about this film that i really love and the the sisters for me is what pushes it over the top yeah because you cool. have this whole time cool. nebula who's been looking for a sister and she tells finally gomorrah point blank you know this all i've ever wanted was to be was to have a sister so i have a sister and you never let me win you never cared about anything you didn't care about what thanos was doing to me this whole time mm-hmm. why couldn't you ever be there for me and at the end of the film they have that moment yeah yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's serious. It's real. It's real amazing, man. Um, so what did you think about the planet? I thought it was interesting. I like, I felt like they made a huge comic book reference that I didn't get with putting a face onto the planet. Like right. when you're in outer space and you're looking at the yeah. planet, yeah. it's got this very light semblance of a face. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I liked the idea of how do we threaten the galaxy again? Because in the first one, I mean, that's what the guardians of the galaxy do. They save the galaxy. Um, And so I thought it was a really fun way of not only introducing a threat, but it, it, it confounded me the first time I'm watching it. I keep waiting. There's this lull in the movie where the second act feels like you're not really going anywhere. You're kind of cutting yeah. to Peter getting to know his father, and they may as all may as well all be sitting around a pond with their feet in the water. Right? <laughs> They're just, all, just waiting for it to end. Yeah, like what's you know? what's next? Yeah, right. And then you have the story of the the capture, but that's not really even going anywhere either. They're all just kind of captured, and uh, you're getting to know people. So it almost feels like a drama more than anything else. Um, and so whether you're spending time on the planet or in the captivity, you just you're just kind of hanging out. And I thought that was, but even then there, there were so many storylines, Yeah, you know, the, uh, the, whatever the, the gold people, right. Um, whatever they are, like, you know, they're always chasing them the whole time. So they like, they're frustrated and they come back and whatever. And then the, you know, uh, uh, rocket storyline, uh, on the planet getting captured. You got, uh, Gamora and her sister, you've got Drax and Mantis, you've got Peter and his dad, like there's all of these storylines going on. So even though there is a lull, the lull is with Peter and his dad. Mm-hmm. You're just waiting for that to end. Yeah. Um, but while that's going on, there's all this other, you know, craziness going on with these other storylines. So it doesn't, you notice the lull if you're looking, if you're, if you're looking at Peter and his dad, but you don't notice it necessarily because of all the other stuff going on and such great writing and great editing to, to like weave it all together to where, uh, there's not much going on over here. Let's cut over here and over here and over here. And then we're going to go back over here just a little bit and then come back over here. Uh, it, it, it's just, uh, it, it's really well put together. And it, it seems like, you know, you, you have some 
I've never wrote a, written a screenplay before, uh, but it would seem like a very difficult thing to do. I mean, you know, it's hard enough to write a screenplay and, and make, you know, one storyline interesting for an hour and a half or two hours, uh, much less, you know, write in all, be able to seamlessly write in all of these other storylines and have them cohesively come together at the end the way that this does. Even bringing back, um, Oh, what were uh, Yondu's the Ravagers? The Ravagers, bringing them back at the end, you know, introducing them, you know, in the in the, in the first act, essentially, um, and and letting you know Yondu has been outed by them, and uh, and then bring them back in the end. So his he gets his funeral, you know, because of what he did. It was it it just everything came together absolutely, and that goes right into like we were talking about the redemption. Yandu gets to redeem himself. Rocket gets to redeem himself and learn how to be a little bit better of a family member. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, he was off the charts in this one. I mean, the first one he, you know, he was ornery, mm-hmm. you know, as all raccoons really are, I yeah. guess. Um, uh, but in this one, he was just downright mean, you know, yeah. all the time. Like he, it was, it was, it was almost too much for me. I was like, dude, you're a jerk, you know? Uh, uh, but I think they needed to do that to put him over the top so that whenever the realization, his, his like, like aha moment, um, happens, it's a big deal. Yeah. And the fact that it happened with Yondu was just e- even better. So just perfect. So good. Yeah. Cause I loved the maturity of Yondu to not only see it in himself, but to recognize it in somebody else. That's a father. That's a father figure for you. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point because that's the way he's treated Peter this whole time. And now he's seeing someone else that could use a dad. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. Rocket doesn't have one, right? Right. Um, and really, Gamora doesn't have one either because mm-hmm. her family was killed by Thanos. And I don't know. And we don't know anything about Groot. <laughs> Maybe at some point we will. He is Groot. He is Groot. That's, that's, what that's we a know. great point. Yeah. That's what that would be his response. Sorry, I washed my mouth out after saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, he steps in and he he calls him out on his BS. He's yeah. like, "I know everything about you. I know what it means to be a hollowed out person who yeah. refuses to connect with someone and puts up walls. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, don't chase everyone away. That." you have in your life. I've done that. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's such a fatherly thing to do. You know, I remember my dad sitting down with me several times, you know, when I, I did something stupid or I disrespected my mother or, you know, was like mean to my sister or something and, and giving me the, the old, I know why you did this. I've done it. And this is why if you do it again, I'm going to kick your ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that kind of thing just flat out told me. And, and I mean, I didn't always get it, but most of the time I did. And that's, mm-hmm. it was totally that in that scene. And you got to feel it from rocket too. It was great. So good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, we could keep talking about I know, it, but I, I, easily. I think we're pretty much out of time. It's yeah. late. I got to wake up at four thirty. So PM. Oh yeah. I'm sleeping in. <laughs> I'm more of the PM guy. He's the 4.30 AM guy. Yeah. You know, nice. So do you have any quick recommendations for this week? So, yes, I do. Um, 
You know, I was going to hold on. Let's get yours because I was going to do this one. And now I think I'm going to do a different one, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, my recommendation is actually baby driver. Ah. I got to see a screening of it and Edgar Wright did a remote Q and a afterwards. Um, and I'm just a really big Edgar Wright fan. If you loved hot fuzz or Sean of the dead, um, or Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yes. Yes. Which we're totally going to do. Oh my God. We're doing it. Then you should watch baby driver. I think it's really, really good. Um, it's not going to make it into like the hall of fame, but I think there's a 98% rating on rotten tomatoes. That's an overinflation. Don't go in there with expectations yeah, no, of a 98%. Yeah. No, but you'll get a good 90% because it's That's a really crazy. good movie. Yeah, That's it's great. a really good movie. And it's just like Guardians of the Galaxy. It's highly musical. Every section of this film, and I mean every section, has a soundtrack to go with it. It's, it's fun. It's a really fun ride. And if you like a fun popcorn movie and you feel like you've been getting a lot of the same ones over and over again lately, go watch Baby Driver. Awesome. I love it. Well... Can I do two? No. You can pick one. You uh, can say two, but only one gets a trailer on the website. Oh, okay. That's how it works. Yep. Okay. Well, then I'm, I'll say two. Uh, so my 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 one that we'll put the trailer on... Actually, I'm just going to say one. Okay. I'll save the other one for next time. Uh, will be one that I recently rewatched and uh, the other day and had you guess. We did 20 questions and you guessed <laughs> it finally. Uh, is the Prestige... Uh, it's a Christopher Nolan film and it, it's, just, it's really well done. I think we, we brought it up when we talked about, uh, when we did our, our interstellar podcast, it's, you know, Nolan likes to play with time and he likes to play with space. And he does that in this movie, um, exploring, uh, magic and just, just, you know, the world of obsession, uh, which I'm, I, I love that world. It's not a popcorn movie. It is a very good, like, sit down and pay the F attention. Nice. So I think we should totally do The Prestige at some point. Yes. Um, but for next week, what are we doing next week? We're going to do Whiplash. Ooh. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait for that one. That one, we're going to focus heavily on editing. Maybe. I'm going to focus heavily on editing because I'm the musician, and this is edited like like a musician would edit it. That's awesome. It's 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 so seamless. It's fantastic. Uh, I've watched a lot of stuff about it. It's it's really great. Nice. So check out Whiplash, and yep. that way you can follow along next week. And don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes if you like what you're hearing. Um, then leave us a review if you don't like us. Don't review us. You don't have to lie. We're not yeah. asking for fake ratings here. Yeah. You don't um, have to troll us. It's no, okay. not at all. And feel free to go to our website, thepestlepodcast.com slash guardians of the galaxy two. The number two. The number two. And drop us a note, say what you like or things you notice that we didn't mention here. And also if you if there's a film you think we should do, uh, drop us a note. Say it. We might just do that. Yeah. And we'll leave you with a quote of the day. Uh, Orson Welles, if you want a happy ending, that depends, of course, on where you stop your story. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Well, thank you for joining us. This is Todd. This is Wes. Signing off.